This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to FICP's podcast series, FICP Focus 45. FICP is the only international NGO whose membership consists entirely of IP attorneys in private practice. The FICP global community is driven by a shared interest among like-minded people to promote common solutions and advocacy for private practice. The FICP business family makes the world a little bit smaller, bringing independent IP attorneys from around the globe together to focus on IP issues of global importance. Our host is Louis-Pierre Gravel, a registered patent agent and partner at Bereskin & Par in Montreal, Canada. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome to FICPI's webinar and podcast series, FICPI Focus 45. My name is Louis-Pierre Gravel, and I'm a partner at Bereskin & Par in Montreal, Canada. Today's guest is someone or something that has existed for some time now, but a little bit less than a year ago was catapulted to fame. It has been the talk of the town, well, the world really, since, and one cannot go a day without seeing a headline about it. The underlying technology is currently the subject of a very public debate between, on the one hand, Yan Le Kun and Andrew Ng, promoting openness and tampering the fears of human extinction. And on the other hand, Joshua Biengio, Jeff Hinton, and others ringing the bell of impending doom unless the development of these tools is highly regulated. While the debate rages on, the United States just a few days ago issued an executive order imposing rules on companies and directing a host of fe federal agencies to begin putting guardrails around the technology. Not wanting to be left behind, UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak has convened luminaries from around the world to Bletchley Park in the UK today and tomorrow to discuss safety and security of these tools. I am, of course, talking about ChatGPT. While the nature of large language models and general pre-trained transformer tools will be left for another day, the purpose of today's session is to demonstrate in real time a tiny sliver of what ChatGPT can actually do and how it might help IP professionals. For the purposes of this session, I've subscribed to the paying version of ChatGPT, which allows one to upload images to the tool, as you will see. So let's start by welcoming ChatGPT to our session. Please note that I am not using the voice generating version of the tool, nor will I be looking at interactions in different languages. And so as you can see on the screen, when you land on the 
ChatGPT landing page, you can choose between 3.5 or 4, the versions. Let's use 4 for the purposes of this one. And the most important aspect, I think, of a conversation with ChatGPT, and as you can see, it's not doing anything. It's just there, sitting there, waiting for you to send it a message. And you need to do what's called prompting the tool to be able to have it interact with you. In this particular case, we're going to condition the rest of the session by telling ChatGPT that it is an IP professional, and in particular, a patent attorney registered in Canada and the United States. And so the tool in real time is providing this, this reply saying, thank you very much. I can help answer questions and offer guidance on general processes, etc. I'm cutting and pasting. So you're everyone's going to see my my adeptness or not in cutting and pasting the questions that I've prepared. So now we're telling it that we're doing a live interview. Uh, does it sound interesting? And you can see that it's it's very enthusiastic. Yes, that sounds like a great opportunity to showcase the capabilities and the type of assistance I can provide. There's a few topics that it says that it can talk about with respect to searching, with respect to patentability, drafting, filing, etc. Next, what we'd like to do is we're going to see how well ChatGPT behaves when we are submitting it with some like real world questions. And here we will ask it to analyze the claim from a Canadian granted patent. We'll provide it with a picture of a potentially infringing device and ask it to determine whether or not there is potential infringement. There are some qualifications to the answer that it's given. It does, to its credit, say that determining patent infringement is a complex process, requires thorough analysis by a qualified legal professional. So far, so good. We like that. We will then upload the claim to the tool. So this is something that I pulled out of a case here in Canada a few years ago uh, regarding teeth for feller heads in the uh, forestry industry. And as you can see right away, although we've given it the claim and nothing more than the claim, it has started to break down what it calls the key elements of the claim to understand what the potentially infringing device would need to include. So it's a sawtooth and a tooth holder combination. There's a frustopyramidal tooth head, very interesting. There's a shank and a holder interaction. It's got to be able to be fastened to the, to the saw itself. And there's orientation and attachment means so that this actually works out. Right. Now, let's provide it with the image, which is, as you can see, a series of teeth that are going to be used for uh, cutting the heads. Notice in particular that here, the teeth do not have a shank extending backwardly. They've got a hole through which a bolt can pass to attach it to the saw. And so this is real time, live. This is not something that was pre-recorded. We're doing this on the fly. It's a lot faster today than on Monday when I when I went through the, the sequence of questions with the tool. On Monday, there was an announcement over the weekend that they had uh, allowed ChatGPT to upload PDF versions and analyze the PDF version. So I think everyone was on the tool trying to test it out. So it was a lot slower this morning or this morning in Montreal anyway. It's uh, it's uh, a little bit faster, which is, which is great. So it's done. It's analyzed the image and it looks at the visible features 
of the devices and the image. And it concludes, it appears to be saw teeth and possibly tooth holders. There's no tooth holders. So that's one thing that we need to be careful of. The shape is, in fact, a frustopyramidal hand. It says it's a bit challenging to see from the image. Interesting choice of words. But if the teeth have shanks that extend into bores in the holders, and if the holders have abutment means for receiving the small end and the side, this would also match the claim. There's no holder because there's no uh, saw. It does not show bolts or screws, and it's unclear how they relate to the holder and the substrate. So it's being able to identify that. It doesn't say how the things are attached. It does, again, conclude for a conclusive determination, you would need to consult with a qualified patent attorney. So, so far, so good, right? Now, let's see how it does this in a slightly different environment. Let's ask it to present the analysis in a claim chart format. and says, of course, it's very enthusiastic, this tool which is, I understand it, something that can be tailored with the temperature that you you qualify the tool with. So it can be very enthusiastic or very dry in its approach to drafting the responses to, to the prompts. So now it's giving us, it's building the claim chart and it says observations based on the image, whether or not there may or may not be some potential infringement. Now, what we see here is that it is taking the various claim elements that it thinks are important, looking at some of the language in claim one, which is different from what I got Monday, but let's ask it to actually use the language of claim one to be able to compare it properly. And so we're going to see it with the actual language of claim one, and it's gonna redo verbatim the elements of claim one and compare them to the tool. It's important to note here that this version of ChatGPT does not have a connector or a connection to real-time internet searching. And so based on one of the questions that was asked in the chat is when you give it a patent number and a title, because it's a predictive text tool, does not actually check the accuracy of the information from public databases or elsewhere. And so it's giving you the prediction of a title of an application or a patent based on the probabilities of the words or the features being the correct text to put, but it doesn't actually generate it. So you need to be sort of careful in how you're applying the tool because it, it may not give you the correct information at all times. In fact, not very often. As I said before, this is a case that was decided at the federal court uh, in Canada back in the mid-2000s. And so I wanted to test whether or not it did have access to real-life internet. And, oh, this is interesting. I cannot directly retrieve or display copyrighted content from external sources, including court decisions. It's fascinating to see how the model has evolved even from Monday because it's not at all the same answer I got on Monday. You may want to consult Federal Court of Canada's website or legal databases, etc. So as it does not have a real life link to the internet, you need to upload the decision, for example. However, there's a limit to the number of characters that can be uploaded. So in this particular case, what I'm doing is I'm, I've taken an extract 
of the decision and we're going to plug it in and see what ChatGPT says about it. And so now what it's going to do is it's going to, <laughs> it seems you provided an excerpt from the decision, which is great. Do I have a specific question? Uh, yes. The decision is based on the provided excerpt and you review the claim chart and indicate whether the products in the picture shown might be infringing, right? And uh, so to respond to, to Lisa, I am using a paid subscription. There is no expectation of confidentiality or privacy in this particular one. Um, this is just the regular $20 a month subscription for using the elevated features of ChatGPT, which allow you, for example, to upload some pictures and get the tool to analyze the, uh, the pictures. And so here, what it's doing is it's analyzing the text that we provided in the decision. And then it is going to tell us or indicate to us or give us an idea whether or not the picture, the devices shown in the picture would in fact or not be infringing. It's going to give us an opinion or a, I think that. Again, which is to its credit, giving us its analysis, but also indicating to the reader that it was advisable to uh, consult a patent attorney for comprehensive infringement analysis. So it's looked at the picture, fine. Now, what I want to do is I want to ask it, so based on the decision and the potentially infringing devices shown in the picture, can you redraft claim one to cover the devices in the picture, assuming that there is no other relevant prior art to consider. And here it's very nicely telling us that this is going to look at it, revising the claim in view of the analysis. And it tells us what it's removed from the claim and emphasizes the mating and secure connection between the sawtooth and the tooth holder. This is very interesting because when I did this a few days ago, and as I tested the tool out, it did have these weird negative limitations, like without the use of tools, but it had even more negative limitations included in the draft. So the tool has evolved over the period of two days that I initially looked at it. And so that's the other really important point when you're using these kinds of tools is that whether you run it on a Tuesday at the beginning of October or a Thursday at the end of December, there is a significant chance that you will not get exactly the same answer. Because in the meantime, the tool has continued to improve based in particular on the prompts that people are giving it. And that they're using the prompts and the answers to those prompts to retrain and to, to refine the model. And maybe on the screen you can't see it, but there is a thumbs up or a thumbs down icon where you can tell the tool, okay, this is a good answer, or this is a really poor answer. I want you to redo it again. Again, it provides a feedback loop into the tool so that it can continually improve itself and be more precise, quote unquote, when it comes to providing uh, information to the user. So now we're, we, we've done the patent. We, we've looked at whether or not it can do infringement. We've looked at whether or not it can provide a claim chart, which it can. 
We do know, however, that it doesn't talk to the internet. And so there's no way for the tool right now, the way that it is configured and the way that I'm using it, to be able to verify the accuracy of the information that's being provided, especially if we're asking it to look at a specific patent or a specific pat patent application or even a specific court case. That would require additional integration into either a standalone environment or um, a subscription to a private session of ChatGPT to be able to further model and and um, constrain the tool to those specific parameters that we might have fed into it. I have a colleague who, on one of the previous versions of ChatGPT, had trained the model on a corpus of case law and the MPEP of the United States, or the Manual of Patent Examining Procedure, in order to be able to really focus the answers on U.S. patent prosecution practice, which is good. You do it once. But again, the other interesting issue about these tools is that they keep they need to be continually trained. They need to be continually updated. As we know, MPEP, court decisions, executive orders, uh, rule changes will all have a significant impact on the content of how we manage our individual practices. And therefore, whenever there's a, a change or even a significant change, like a court decision that would reverse uh, you know, decades of precedent, then you need to spend some quality time with the tool to be able to, to retask it to the new environment and to essentially forget the historical data that it's accumulated over the you know the past decades or so and start from scratch if it's a if it's a reversing precedent to be able to going forward continue maintaining accuracy in the responses that the tool is going to be providing and therefore it's not it's not a a question of set it and forget it there needs to be continuous improvement and of course that we all recognize will come with some cost because it's going to take humans to be able to bring back the tool to the correct environment that we're looking for. Now, let's do something a little bit different and talk about trademarks. Trademarks, a fascinating area of intellectual property law. People who are doing trademarks here will be very interested to see that ChatGPT is, is very enthusiastic about trademarks. So let's say, well, what are the key port points to consider about trademarks? And it's going to give us an answer as to, well, here are some of the key points to consider about trademarks. So what's the definition? Again, a fairly standard definition. We like that. Um, what's the purpose? Trademarks can last as long as they are in use and maintain their distinctiveness. Need to renew registration after 10 years. It's pretty good. It's been updated with the law. Registration and use requirements, it's, uh, it's giving us some, some good basic information. Again, if you're thinking of providing a chatbot on your website to give people standard information about IP rights in general, this could be a very interesting use case of integrating ChatGPT. You would need to be able to condition the answers to your local practice, to your local flavor, to your firm culture and values and everything else. But it does give you in real time, pretty quickly, some foundational aspects of trademark law in this particular case. Again, it's being very accommodating. Would you like to delve into specific points or have other 
questions. And so I, I wanted to check whether or not it was able to provide an answer with respect to uh, names and whether or not the family name of a person can be registered as a trademark. So here it says names can be registered as trademarks, but there are specific considerations and challenges involved. Pretty good. It's got to be distinctive. If it's not initially distinctive, it's got to have acquired a secondary meaning. There's got to be consent of a living in individual. I'm going to let the IP uh, trademark experts to uh, chime in on this one. Very interesting. It does talk about privacy and the rights of publicity and using a famous person's name as a trademark without their consent would infringe the right of publicity. I don't know how often that would happen. Geographic considerations are important. Use and trade. You know, in summary, while names can be registered as trademarks, there are specific challenges and considerations to keep in mind. Okay, so I would say that's a pretty good answer. Again, I will let my trademark colleagues opine on that. I was always under the impression that there was kind of a general prohibition against the registration of family names as trademarks in Canada and the US. And it was only if you overcome that prohibition under the certain circumstances that you would be able to, to register it. And again, so it comes back with a fairly nuanced answer. There's not an absolute prohibition, but again, there are specific considerations and potential challenges. And it breaks it down into the requirements for different countries, which again, I don't know if it's hallucinating. It looks pretty legitimate to me in terms of, of an answer, but again, people will be free to, you know, analyze the responses and, and say whether or not it's, it's accurate or not. I suspect in this particular case, it's probably fairly accurate, but it may not be picking up all of the nuances that we see in our day-to-day -day practices. Again, very interesting. It's very quick, as you can see. It's providing you with some some pretty good interactions, some pretty good information. Um, and so here, I'd, I'd like to thank Ian Gill for uh, su suggesting the following prompt, which is, we've been approached by a client who wants to file a trademark for products that contain propolis extract. I'm going to, to uh, say that I'm not really familiar with this product. Can you define it? And what are the international classes I should be considering that are relevant to the commercialization of products containing propolis extract? Brilliant. So what's the definition? It's a substance that bees collect from buds, sap, flows, or other botanical sources. Thank you. It's used to seal unwanted gaps and cracks in the hive. It's got a long history of medicinal use due to its antibacterial, antifungal, antiviral, anti-inflammatory, and antioxidant provide. Basically, it's a miracle drug. And so then it looks at the NICE classification set up by the NICE agreement in 1957, and it will identify which classes are particularly or could be potentially interesting to consider when you're filing your trademark based on the products that are going to be integrating this propolis extract. Crucial to understand the exact nature of the products, depending on the breadth of their commercial intentions, several classes might be relevant. You might also consider seeking detailed information about the product to decide on the most fitting classes. So in order to sort of figure out how else it could be used, 
I've asked, I've also asked it, or I told it last time that I was going to be doing this on a live webinar. The audience would be mostly IP professionals from around the world. Apart from the issues discussed above, what are one or two unique advantages in using chat DPT to assist IP professionals? And I'll answer the questions in, in just a minute. And it says two right away. Swiftly access and present vast amounts of information on a wide range of topics with the caveat that it does not have the access to real-time internet access to be able to verify additional information. But it'll prepare summaries of trademark law in specific countries or the scientific background on a particular technology, knowing that the training data is current as of September 2021 for ChatGPT4. And then it says, of course, you know, I don't sleep. I can give you round-the-clock support. We work around different time zones, especially when dealing with international IP rights. It's available 24-7. We can get the assistance that we need whenever, however, double-checking facts again, but with the caveat that it does not have access to the internet for now anyway. There are other tools that do provide real-time access to the internet, but I didn't want to get into those tools right away. I really wanted to focus on ChatGPT because... That's kind of the the one that we're all talking about, you know, on a daily basis. Did I run into any hallucination events? So when the tool confidently writes something that we know is completely nonsense, as I said, yes, to a certain extent, when I asked it to redraft the claim based on the on the interpretation of the court, it did include some very strange negative limitations in the claim, which we all know is a no-no in, in patent law. Um but is that a hallucination as or is that a lack of training on the proper etiquette of claim drafting? I'm not sure. Um, but I did not experience like a long conversation where the tool would just go off and spew absolute nonsense. And the other question is, do we have any experience using ChatGPT for designs? Do you think it can be used to find inconsistencies and in different views of a product and design representations? Absolutely. The image recognition a tool in this is based on DAL-E, which is also run by uh, OpenAI. It is supremely powerful. It's very, very good. And I'm sure that it could be able to give you an analysis of two designs side by side. You know, if you've got if you've got two that you want to send to me by email, we can plug them into the tool right away and and see uh, how that does. I, I'm I'm sorry, I didn't really think about it. Other question, declaration from the individual, if you're filing for a surname, yes, that's correct. Am I using the brand ChatGPT or a patent law trained product? No, this is ChatGPT as it comes out out of the box. And the only difference is that I've paid for the, for the, uh, the $20 a month paid subscription for it, which as I said before, allows you to upload images to the tool to be able to uh, to do some image analysis. Um, but other than that, no, it's a very vanilla flavored ChatGPT tool. It has not been conditioned for patent law or even IP law in, in general. All right, Sharon, well, let's ask it what it knows about FICPI. Maybe it does know or not know anything about it. I think we've stumped it. <laughs> it's, it's looking for information now. Well, well, well. This is unexpected. It's got the right acronym so far. FICPI represents IP attorneys from around the world, making it a truly global organization. I wonder where it picked that up. Probably from the FICPI website. FICPI exclusively represents IP attorneys in private practice. 
works to promote the values of IP perfection and to influence the development of IP law, offers seminars, conferences, and workshops on various topics, visions, and goals. We're a significant organization in the global IP community, providing a unique perspective from IP attorneys in private practice and playing a key role in the development and promotion of IP rights internally. Let's ask it how it's governed and governance structure. Okay, General Assembly, FICB World Congress. The General Assembly is responsible for electing the executive committee members and taking major decisions that impact. I'm not quite sure that's true. EXCO manages the day-to-day activities of the Federation. There's a bureau, okay. There's a secretariat. We're commissions and working groups. It's funny that it's not referring CET specifically. We have an advisory council. Ah, the specific roles, responsibilities, and governance details can be found in FICB's statutes and bylaws. So again, go back to to the source, which is not doing in real time. So yeah, it's probably referencing the FICB website as of 2021. I hope that you enjoyed the presentation today. Okay, so Kath, let's ask it what the source is for the information it just provided. Uh, Last training cut off in April 2023. The specifics can be sourced, so it's not affirmative. If there have been updated or changes after 2023, I would recommend you consulting the most recent documents on the FICP website directly. As I said, I hope you enjoyed the presentation. If you're looking at this for the first time, you're probably going, oh my God, this is the end of the world. But if you keep digging deeper, you do find that tools like this show their limitations fairly quickly, especially in a highly specialized area as intellectual property. You know, our business is a business of of details and deadlines, and the tool is not made to be able to uh, go into the very fine points um, unless it is properly trained uh, and properly maintained over a period of time. And so I think as professionals, we need to keep ensuring that we are abreast of these tools. I would even go so far as to suggest we should be uh, kicking the tires on these tools um, to make sure that we understand what they can bring in terms of advantages, what are their limitations. Um, But also, because these tools will continue evolving, they will get better in being able to uh, predict text and to build text. They can do uh, text to speech. Uh, right now it's offline, it, meaning that it'll give it to you in a file that you can then listen to. For example, we can we can generate the the chat as a, an audio file to uh, to listen to. Will it be able to do it in real time at some point? Yeah, I think so. But again, it needs to be maintained. It needs to be constrained and it needs to be taught what the proper presentation is. And so I wish you all a great day and I wish you happy chatting with ChatGPT. Thank you very much. If you have any questions about the topics discussed in this podcast, you can sign up for free and message us, ficp.org. You can also find out more of what's to come on the FICP Focus 45 podcast series, either on the events page of our website, LinkedIn, or via our newsletter. See you next time.